Thanks for checking out this week's sermon from Bonavista Baptist Church. We invite, encourage, and equip you to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. You know, when I read this parable, sometimes I think, what's the big deal? I mean, honestly, like, what's the problem here? Why is Jesus so hard on this guy? I think most of us would see this guy as just a smart businessman, a really good farmer, because we do these things all the time. Uh, Think with me for a moment about what he did. Uh, He had a problem. He had way too much grain, and so he tore down his old barns. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want to build other barns that would take up his usable land. Well, that's just smart, isn't it? I, I mean, he had so many different options for him because he ended up storing his grain. That's what we do when we have abundance. We save it up. And because he stored his grain, he maybe could have held it until he had better market value and sold it then. Isn't that a smart business practice? He even had a great retirement plan. I mean, isn't that the goal for all of us? Aren't we just waiting for that Freedom 55 or something like that? He had it all mapped out. I mean, if if one of us retires, we give him a pat on the back and say, well done, you deserve this, take your rest, enjoy some freedom. I, I mean, this guy, isn't he just the epitome of what we all want to be? In so many ways, he is who we want to be. So why was Jesus so hard on this guy? And, and does this parable actually call all of our modern values around financial security into question? Well, maybe. It's interesting, Jesus often pointed out the dangers of wealth. I don't think Jesus was against money, but he pointed out the dangers of wealth, which is kind of strange in some ways, because in the Hebrew mind, and even in our mind today, let's face it, wealth is usually seen as a sign of God's blessing, of God's favor. When we have abundance, we say, we're so blessed. And so shouldn't we be looking at this man and saying, wow, he was really blessed And he was a smart businessman. He had it all together. When Jesus warns against money, though, he usually warns about the problem of not not of having money, but of having money rule our lives. The problem isn't having money. The problem is serving money. That's where the problem comes. Uh, The issue isn't having possessions. The danger is allowing our possessions to possess us. And so the moral of the story is in that one verse that Jesus says, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. That's really the bottom line here for us today. I remember seeing a bumper sticker, and I'm sure it was meant to be given in humor, but it said, he who dies with the most toys wins. And I know that's meant to be humorous, but I wonder if sometimes we live by that motto that the goal is really just to accumulate the most we can in this world. And by that measure, um, we win. (laughs) Our lives are full according to the abundance of of our things. And this parable says that that is fundamentally untrue. In fact, Jesus says it can be dangerous, a very dangerous way to live. It's interesting as we go through the parable, Uh, There's no mention of a number of things that any farmer during the time of Jesus who was a Jewish farmer, a Hebrew farmer, would have done if he was a good farmer. 
there's no mention of an offering of first fruits. That was built right into the Old Testament system. That as soon as you had the first bit of your harvest, whether it was grain or fruit or something else, you would offer it to God as an act of thanksgiving and an act of faith. I can't imagine the farmer in our story honoring that method of first fruits, that offering of first fruits. There's also no mention of leaving the edges and corners of his field for the poor to harvest. That was also really built into the law in the Old Testament. This idea that you, you don't harvest your field right to the edges. Instead, you leave the corners, leave the edges, so that the poor can come and be fed as well. And I just can't imagine this farmer honoring that law. There's also no acknowledgement uh, that he did nothing to cause the, the crops to grow. This farmer didn't cause the sun to shine. He didn't cause the rain to come. He probably didn't even plow his own field. He probably had workers doing that for him. There's no acknowledgement that he did not cause these crops to grow. He simply portrayed as a self-made, self-sufficient, and simply selfish man. So ultimately, he is the definition of greed. So that's the warning of the story for us. How do we prevent greed from gripping our souls and really destroying our lives and leaving us empty-handed in the end? How do we break the power of greed? Well, I want to give us three G's that will help us to break the power of greed. The first G is this, gratitude. I remember my dad who passed away a number of years ago. He was a hard worker. I often talk about my dad working eight days a week. He would work four days in the mine, and then he would work four days building houses. That's how he lived. And, and he could, in some ways, legitimately say that everything he had, he had worked hard for. And that's, that's good. That's right. That's true. But one thing my dad did every evening when we sat down for dinner is he would bow his head and he would give thanks to God for everything that he had. I think that's one of the ways he broke the power of greed or the temptation of greed in his life is simply by giving thanks. When we give thanks, we, we acknowledge that we didn't arrive at this place by our own strength, that we had lots of help. We had help from people around us. We had help from uh, the elements beyond us. And ultimately, we had help from God. And so giving thanks is probably the first step in breaking the power of greed. The second G is generosity. You know, there's a number of things that this man could have done with his excess grain. A number of things he could have done with his money. He, uh, he could have given his workers a raise. That would have been nice. Uh, he could have donated some money to the temple for redistribution to the widows and the orphans. Uh, that would have been very much in keeping with his faith. Uh, but he didn't. He held it all to himself. St. Augustine, he comments uh, about the story. He says, The farmer was planning to fill his soul with excessive and unnecessary feasting and proudly disregarding all those empty bellies of the poor. And then listen to this, because I think it's absolutely profound. Augustine said, the farmer did not realize that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his barns. What an amazing thought that is. I'm going to say it one more time. He did not realize 
that the bellies of the poor were much safer storerooms than his own barns. What a fantastic thought. Generosity is that thing that breaks the grip of greed in our lives. John Wesley was a Methodist preacher, a founder, really, of the Methodist movement. And he once gave a sermon in which he outlined what we're meant to do with money. And he had three basic points. He said, gain all you can, as long as it's legitimate. Gain all you can. Save all you can. And give all you can. Well, 30 years after giving that sermon, he was actually concerned because he thought people might have misunderstood what he was saying. So he went back and he made this comment. He said, Of the three rules which I laid down, you may find many that observe the first rule, namely, gain all you can. You may find a few that observe the second rule, save all you can. But how many have you found that observe the third rule, give all you can? Being generous with what we have, whether it's our time, our resources, our our finances, whatever it is, being generous helps to break the power of greed in our lives. Well, the third G is this, and it's the most ominous one of all, the grave. The grave and understanding the grave helps to break the power of greed in our lives, and that's what's right in this story for us today. Problem was, this farmer didn't look beyond the grave. He looked at his life as it was now, not thinking of what happens after he dies. And and that just allowed greed to grip his soul in such a way that it ended up destroying him. There's a story of a conversation between a, a young, ambitious man and an older man who kind of knew life a little bit better. The conversation went like this. The young man said, I will earn my degree... And the older man said, and then? The young man said, I'll set up my business. And the older man replied, and then? Well, I'll make my fortune. And then? Well, I suppose that I'll grow old and retire and live on my money. And then? Well, I suppose that someday I might die. And then? And the the young man had no answer to that. And I I think we live our lives that way. I think we live our lives for the moment, for what we can see and feel and touch. And yet we're being invited here through this parable to think of, and then, what happens after? What happens after the grave? What does it, it mean to live not just for ourselves, but live our lives for God and for eternity? That's why God comes and says to the farmer, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Thinking of the grave helps to break the cycle of greed in our lives. So how do we break the power of greed? By cultivating a grateful heart, by practicing generosity, and by considering the grave. Well, I know we've been talking about greed a lot, and certainly greed is a big part of the story, but there's a deeper issue at play here. And the real issue, the deeper issue, is not just greed. It's actually idolatry. It's setting our own selves up to be God. That's what's happening with this farmer. The man, it wasn't just that he couldn't see beyond the grave. He couldn't see beyond himself. 
Martha Ostenso, who wrote uh, Wild Geese, uh, she once said of a, a selfish woman, Edith lived in a little world bounded on the north, south, east, and west by Edith. And I think this farmer is the same. Uh, he lives in a very small world and is bounded simply by himself. Uh, the farmer's conversation with his, himself is so self-centered. Uh, First-person pronouns in this very short passage occur about 11 times. The whole parable, the very short parable, is filled with I, me, my, mine. This man has placed himself on the pedestal of life. This is a case of idolatry. So greed traps us in a tiny world where there is only room for one. That's what's happening in the story. That's the definition, really, of idolatry. I love at the very end of the passage in the translation called The Message, it says this, That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. That's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. Because that's what's at issue here, is putting self first and foremost and even last. Self is all, and that's the nature of idolatry. So constantly grabbing for more stuff in life will, in the end, leave us empty-handed. Instead, and there's an alternative here and in the passage that I invite you to explore, but instead, Jesus said in John chapter 10, I came so that they can have real and eternal life, more and better life than they ever dreamed of. Let's seek that life instead.